Yeah, thank you, Andrew. And again, I want to encourage you, whether you're on-site or online, to consider how you can participate in our AGM tomorrow night, but also uh, some other ministry opportunities are starting now and will be continuing to roll out in the weeks ahead. Uh, most of those will also be, and you're going to get used to hearing this term, they will be fidgetal, which means they will be physically available for you to attend, and they'll also be digitally available for you to watch from your home, if you're participating with us as a, a member from... Uh, from a distance or online. Well, today as we continue this series, I want to tell you a story. It's what I believe to be an amazing story. And like all stories, it has a few key elements that leads to it being a good story. For example, it has diverse characters. Two of these characters we were introduced to last week as we started this series called Stand, focusing upon the first six books of the chapter of Daniel, six first chapters of the book of Daniel. We were introduced last week to a king and to an exiled servant. This servant, his name is Daniel. He's a young adult who comes from a noble line, taken from his homeland in Judah to Babylon, where he's entered into a a, a pre-programming kind of school where he excels, but he remains faithful to his God. The king who is in charge of all this is a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. A mighty ruler of an immensely powerful, rich empire. A king who was groomed from the very young age to be king. He had been spoiled his whole life. Anything he'd ever wanted, it was granted to him. He had always had success and nothing but. The best and nothing but. He had never heard the word no. Which will become important in our story today. There's a hero in the story. Now, I'm not going to tell you who the hero is yet. I think he'll slowly be revealed as we go through the story. But like all good heroes, his presence is able to change everything. There's conflict in the story. Maybe conflict between the king and his wise men. A little bit. Maybe conflict between Daniel and some of the king's wise men. Perhaps. But actually, I'm going to tell you what the conflict is. The real conflict is this courtroom battle between the gods that these two characters worship. And there's a message for us in this story as well. Now, it's likely a message that you've heard before, maybe you've even thought of before, but I'm willing to bet that it's also a message you have perhaps not recently stopped to pause and reflect upon. And I want to give you a glimpse of what that message is before we even start the story. I'm not going to give you the whole message, But I want to give you the first part of the message, because I want you to keep this thought in your mind as we go through our story today. And here it is. Are you ready? Keep this in your mind. The first part of the message. God is able. God is able. Can you say that with me? God is able. I know we're not breaking any rules here because we're not singing, but we're going to speak. God is able. If you're online, feel free to type that in the chat box so I know what you're tracking with me. And here's the thing. If you know him personally, what I mean by him, I mean the God of the Bible. The God that Daniel serves and remains faithful to. If you know him personally, you can add to that by saying, my God is able. Keep that in mind. Because we walk through this story today found in Daniel chapter 2. I think when we're done, I want to invite you to find with me that we can stand amazed, that we can join myself and Daniel and the king and many, many others, the king who I'm going to refer to as Nebi, because it's just fun to say throughout the whole message, 
King Nebi and others, we are able to stand amazed at the God who is able. So as the story opens, we find Daniel, as we know, is in Babylon, and he's been there for a few years at this point. And Nebi, we're told, has a dream. And it's a troubling dream. It's, it's a dream that leads to sleeplessness. I'm, I'm sure we've all experienced this to some degree at some point in our lives, where you wake up, and, and, and it seems so real. You're not sure, am I, am I awake, am I still sleeping? Because the emotion is still there. You're in this new reality of awakenedness, but you're not sure if a dream is over, if it actually happened, but you're thankful it didn't because it's troubling. But the emotion is still there. It was so vivid. So disturbing that you wanted to stay awake because if you go back to sleep, you might just end up in act two of that dream. Perhaps this has revealed itself in a different way in your life if you're married. Where you go to sleep one night and then you wake up eight hours later and you're in a pretty good mood. And you roll over and you say good morning to your spouse. Nothing. She's not talking. And you're thinking, what in the world did I do over the last eight hours? And then you realize you did something in her dream that you don't know about, and you're going to pay for it today. <laughs> Anyone ever had this happen to them? Regardless, Nebi has a dream. And in this particular time, there was a strong belief that dreams and visions were messages from the gods. And it leads him to have anxiety and fear. And so he needs an answer. To this mystery, what does this dream mean? What is this message? And so he calls in his best magicians, his best enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, those people in his kingdom who are trained in the pagan arts of dream interpretation, those who have the ability to, to manipulate and read people and spiritual signs and entities in order to reveal mysteries. And as we learned last week, this is a significant part of the leadership training school that Daniel's been enrolled in. Dream interpretation is one of the things you can major in in this particular school. And if you were to major in dream interpretation, they would teach you a few things, including the protocol that existed for such a situation. They would train you that the day may come when the king would ask you to come into his presence. And as you walked in, you would bow before him and then say something like we find in verse 4. May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we shall interpret it for you. But remember, from birth, Nebuchadnezzar has been trained as a leader. He's been trained that he can have what he wants the way he wants, and he decides he's going to break with protocol in this particular situation. He's not going to follow the convention of the day, and he has firmly decided in his mind that he's not going to tell them the dream. Instead, they are going to tell him the dream and the interpretation along with it. We can understand how ridiculous this is. It would be the equivalent of us going to our doctor and saying, Doctor, I need your help. The doctor says, what is the problem? Well, I'm not going to tell you. If you were really a good doctor, if you really went to med school, if you really care about me, you should just know what's wrong with me. Well, help me out, Mark. Is it, is it your leg? Is it your back? Did you tweak your back somehow? Did you fall off a ladder? Tell me what happened so I can assist you. No. Well, I'm going to assume you've hit your head then, because this is ridiculous and irrational for you to expect such a thing. You can imagine a doctor's response to such a situation. Well, these king's advisors, these wise men, have a similar response. You want them to respond in the same way that your doctor would respond to you, but they can't. Because it's the king. And because the king just raised the stakes. He says to them, if you're not able to do this, 
If you can tell me my dream, if you can interpret my dream, I will reward you. I will honor you like nobody has ever been honored before. Beyond your wildest dreams, I will reward you if you can tell me what my dream was. But if not, then I'm going to call into question the integrity of your ability as a wise man, and I'm going to cut you to pieces, and I will completely leave your family in ruin. 